0: Are you doing this morning? You doing all right? Yeah, we're starting mood swingers. I've got a a, a few things I want to talk to you about that uh, might just make you stop and go. Hmm. So let me go over these with you. And when I say each of these things, you just go hmm with me. All right? Are you ready? Why do doctors call what they do practice? Hmm. Why is the man who invests all your money called a broker? Hmm. Why didn't Noah just swat those two darn mosquitoes? You have to think about that one for a minute. You know, two by two, no mosquitoes. You know that indestructible box that they use on airplanes? Why don't they just make the whole airplane out of that box material, you know? Mm. And finally, if con is the opposite of pro, is Congress the opposite of progress? Hmm, yeah. I thought you might like that one. Why do my emotions tell me one minute that the world is great, that my marriage is amazing, that you know life is good, and then it seems like it could be even in the same day. Suddenly it feels like, you know, everything's going down the toilet as far as the world around us is concerned. Our marriage is just pitiful, you know. And, and, and life just generally stinks. I think it's called a mood, but God gave us this amazing gift of emotion, and it is an amazing gift. I mean, without it, think how bland the world would be. It gives the world texture and and depth and and color. But the problem for many of us is that we determine our steps, we determine our life, we determine each moment by how we feel. And it's literally destroying our lives. I I want us to see some things. I want you to pull out your sermon notes because I got some blanks for you today that I want you to fill in because there's some things that I think this could be a life changer for a lot of us. Uh, How do we deal with emotion? What do we do with it? How do we uh, understand emotion and what we're supposed to do with it? I want you to see a few things. Some, Some facts about emotion. Number one, Emotions are notoriously unreliable. Write that down. They're unreliable, they're not necessarily bad, not necessarily good, they're just neutral but they're unreliable. In fact, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life, I've made in a moment of emotion. And the Bible talks about that. The Bible is a book of a lot of stories and one of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't gloss over the failures of its heroes. Way back in the book of Genesis, there's the story of Jacob and Esau, two twins. Let me just read you a few verses. It says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who was their dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah, the mom, loved Jacob. You can see some pretty faulty family dynamics there, right? Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in. From the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick. Now, whenever you see quick, that's usually an emotion word, right? Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Edom means red. How would you like to be known for one of your greatest failures? And they name you after that, right? Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. The birthright was this precious, precious thing passed down from father to son, the firstborn son, father to firstborn son, father to firstborn son, generations after generations. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He gave it away in a moment of emotion. Have you ever given away something precious? Some part of you in a moment of emotion? Well, he said that he loved me. Now I I just feel used. Or maybe in your marriage where in a moment of emotion or anger or rage, some words came out that just destroyed what you had spent so long trying to build up. Or in your job, maybe in a fit of emotion you said something to your boss or a manager. It cost you that very same job. Or finances, you know, those quick and easy credit cards. And it's just so easy to just take that and you go into the and see all those things. And now we can just look online. It's really easy. And with one click, you know, on Amazon, it's amazing what you, I mean, it'll just come right to your house. You don't even have to do anything. You just click and it comes. Oh, you do have to pay for it later, but you know. What about a, an affair? I, I, I've counseled so many that are going through affairs as I work with their marriage and, and the person in the affair will say, but it just, I, I don't know, it just feels so life-giving to me. I, I, I love her, I love him. And I, I, you know, I feel this strong emotion and we give our marriage away. I think one of the things that happens in America is we, we seem to value feeling over everything. But the truth is, our feelings are unreliable. Well, how did our emotions get so out of whack? I I want us to look at it for a minute from kind of like a a counseling perspective. You know the earthquake Richter scale where they can measure how strong an earthquake is? Well, there's a sense in which all of us kind of have an emotional Richter scale. It, It goes from one down here, which is calm and peaceful, to 10, which is, you know, just off the charts, crazy, you know, feeling all kinds of emotion. And so, we have this scale, and it goes from one to 10. And you can see how it works. God, as he created us in in this physical body that we have, we have a a thinker. uh, That's our mind. We have a feeler, our emotions. We have a chooser. The Bible calls that our will. So let's kind of see how it works. I want you just to use your imagination a little bit. Imagine, suddenly, right there in front of you, you look down and you see a snake. It's right there, it's right at your feet. What happens? Well, your thinker, right, says it's a snake and it looks like it has a big head. I think it's a poisonous snake. Is that a rattle on the end of it? I don't know what that is, but that's enough to go straight to your feeler, right? So your thinker shoots up to a 10, it's a snake. Your feeler jumps up, to a ten, It's a snake. And, and, and you start to sweat and you go into fight or flight. Some of you would be running out there. Some of you would just be frozen in place. It just depends on, you know, who you are. But then you look a little closer and you see it's a rubber snake and you go, oh, it's a child's toy. Some little kid left it. It's just a rubber snake. And your thinker drops all the way down to a one. I'm not in any danger, but what does your feeler do? Your feeler just slowly starts to come down. It gets down to maybe a seven, you know, over time. And imagine as it drops down to a seven, you put your hand on the, on the chair next to you and all of a sudden a spider runs up your arm. What happens? Your thinker goes, oh no, back up to a 10. Your feeler at seven jumps, tries to jump to an 11, doesn't it? Now, I want you to imagine that you grew up in a home where you're, mama is a spider and your daddy is a snake. You see, it's never, or maybe it was an uncle, or maybe it was a brother, or maybe it was just some, the situation you were in, or maybe they were struggling together and it just felt like that as they were going through divorce and stuff. What happens is our feeler never drops completely back down. And so it'll get down to, you know, maybe an eight, a seven, and then it gets knocked back up again. The next shoe drops and then it comes. And, 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 Pretty soon what we do is because that's normal for us, and this is where Paul is talking about we gotta get away from childish things. We just tend to restructure that, and so we think that's normal. So that becomes our Richter scale, and we just renumber it, 1 to 10, right there. Maybe it's a 9.5, but you still got it numbered, 9.5 to 10, but you're numbering it 1 to 10 in between there, okay? I talked to a lady in counseling one day that was talking about how all growing up her dad just subtly in so many different ways rejected her. And she realized that her emotional scale only went down to about an eight. And she had just renumbered it. She thought that was normal but she never went below an eight when it came to rejection. These are called trigger points and all of us have them. And so she said when her husband did anything that felt anything like rejection, she jumped up on that scale. You know, She thought she jumped up to a seven but really she was at a 9.9. And that's how her husband perceived it, you know? And and so, it was just destroying their relationship. And that can happen. All of us have trigger points. She said, you know, it's as if my elevator doesn't go all the way to the bottom. You've heard about people whose elevator doesn't go all the way to the top, you know? Well, some of us here, our elevator doesn't go all the way to the bottom. It doesn't get back down there again. And you know, in that calm and peaceful kind of place. You say, Mark, are you saying I'm not normal? Exactly. You're not normal. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you are absolutely not normal, but I love you. Now, if you didn't know them, that was weird, but <clears throat> we've had more marriages start that way. No, I'm not kidding. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, all of us have trigger points. Mine might not be the same as yours, but you bring them into every relationship. And some of us are destroying our marriages, destroying our relationships, because we don't realize that. So, how do you see a trigger point? You figure out where the emotion is way too high. You might need someone else to let you know that, okay? But if it's way too high all the time, or you start to talk about something, and all of a sudden it's so emotional, and it doesn't seem like it's... Should be necessarily, you know. I mean, all feelings are valid feelings. There's a reason why you have them, but they're not all productive, you know. And some of it is we're fighting things in the past, not the present. And we've got to learn that. We've got to understand that. Another thing I want you to see about emotions emotions can lie, but truth, the Bible says, in fact, Jesus said, sets us free. Emotions can lie. They don't always lie, but they can lie. But truth sets us free. Now this is not just any truth, it's Jesus' truth. Jesus told the people who had faith in him, if you keep on obeying what I've said, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you see that? If you keep on obeying what I've said, you're my disciples. If you keep on obeying what I've said, you will know the truth. If you keep on obeying what I've said, the truth will set you free. It's the ones who follow his truth. He's not talking about any truth. He's talking about biblical principles, Christian principles, God's principles for living life. Psychiatrist Scott Peck says all of us from an early age, we're spending our time figuring out how to uh, put together what he calls a reality map. In your mind, you have a map of what you think is reality, and none of us are exactly accurate. All of our maps are off in some places, but the closer you can get your map to what really is reality, the better your life is going to be. The further away from reality your map is, the more psychosis and stuff there is until you finally get to schizophrenic, where you're maybe hearing voices and you're living in an alternate reality, but that seems real to them, okay? So we want to work on our reality maps, but it's hard to keep them accurate. and and. Even as we grow older, some people, they stop about age 22, 25. They just stop with their map, and they just leave it like that. Well, the world's a lot different place, isn't it? We've got to figure out if we're going to manage it. If we're gonna, but there are some truths that last forever that we can plug into that map, and that's God's principles. We've got to be extremely watchful, for in our emotion, we can begin to feel like something is true when it's absolutely not true. I read this week about a woman who went to the airport. She got there pretty early, so she went and stopped by at this airport. They had a Mrs. Fields cookie place, which, you know, sounds like my kind of airport, right? And so she bought this little package of five cookies. It you know, came in a bag, and she went and sat down at her terminal, you know, where, I mean, at her place, at her gate, and, and, and she uh, sat down. There's an empty seat in between her and a man on the other side. She gets all of her stuff settled, and she's reading a magazine, she notices he's reading on his iPad and all of a sudden she hears the rattle of paper, cookie paper, you know, bag paper. And she looks down and he's reaching in her bag of cookies in the middle seat there and he's taking out a cookie and he just begins to eat it while he's reading his iPad. And she's stunned, she's not very good at confrontation but she is good at getting mad, you know. So she grabs a cookie, rattles her paper, grabs a cookie and she's just glaring at him, you know. She goes back to her magazine, and then she hears the paper rattling again, and he's taking a second cookie, and he's eating it like nothing's going on. He's not even looking at her, and she's just glaring at him now. She just gave him her best glare. She rattled the paper again, got the cookie. She's chomping on it as loud as she can, you know, reading her magazine. She hears the paper again, and then a snap. And he gets up and walks away and she looks down and laying on top of the bag is half of the last cookie. He halfed her cookie with her. <laughs> she is outraged and she's ready to give him a piece of her mind. But then they call her group number, you know, she's number one. So she had to get on the plane. So she just grabbed that last half of cookie, gobbled it down, got on the plane. She gets on the plane, she sits down in her seat and she takes her ticket you know, stub that they've torn in half and she opens her purse to put it in there and there's her bag of cookies in her purse <laughs> everything changed in a moment for her as she's thinking of that poor sweet man out there who's sitting by the insane woman who's eating his bag of cookies and he was sweet enough or scared enough to share the last one with her before he walked off. And she said, what was so weird, her face went white, her thinker went, I've totally made a mistake. But she said her feeler stayed annoyed at every, she was so annoyed, she was like annoyed at everyone around her for almost the whole flight. It took a long time for that to calm down. See emotions, feelings can lie. She was, in her emotions, she was a victim. But was that true? You see, we've got to know the truth or we can't have accurate feelings because feelings are gonna follow the truth that we understand. Our feelings are unreliable. The truth sets us free. There's some bad reality maps that some of us are following. I'll just give you a few examples in just little, some easy ways and then some a little bit more devastating ways. One of my bad reality maps for a long time was if I exercise the weight should just fall off, you know? And and you might believe that too. That's why you bought that Bowflex, right? I mean, have you seen the people on the Bowflex on the advertisements? They look amazing and it takes like five minutes a day. You're still paying on your Bowflex. It's in the closet, but it only takes five minutes a day and five minutes a day, you open the closet and look at your Bowflex and it should just be falling off, right? is that accurate? No. The truth is it takes 3500 calories to equal a pound. You have to either not eat or burn off 3500 calories to lose a pound. And that's, I mean, that's crazy. That's a lot. That's hard. Sometimes at LA Fitness, one of the places where I go work out, I'll get on that stair-step machine, you know, the one that has the eternal stairs. They just keep going. And I think that's that's what hell's gonna be like. You're (laughs) gonna… Welcome to LA Fitness. Here's your eternal stair-step machine, right? And so, you're on that, and you're going, and that's excruciating. I've gotten where I can go like 30 minutes, but about minute 25, I don't even know where I am anymore. You know? And it's always about then that one of you will come up and go, hey, I go to Community of Faith. And I go, whatever. I don't know that what's going on. <laughs> right now. I can't even see you, you know? And, and so it's, it, it, but so you, you know, you're working on that thing and 30 minutes, you know what it says? How many calories I burned off? 350. I think in hell it's going to be like adding calories as you do that, you know? But it's like, it, it's, it's, it's 350, I have to do that. Did you know that you have to eat an M&M, you have to walk a football field to burn that off? One, not even peanut M&M, right? Losing weight is hard to get 3,500 calories. so. You know, this past week, I lost a couple of pounds, and I'm like, I'm a loser. I'm a, I, uh, that's terrible. I was going to try to lose 10 pounds. You can't do that. You know, that's not realistic. You can lose a lot of water weight, right? You see the biggest loser. You lost 48 pounds this week. I don't, I'm wondering about that, you know? But if you lose a couple of pounds, that's awesome. That's the reality. That's the way it should be. That's, that's what it looks like. And so, you try to change it. And, and like what I'm doing now is I've accepted reality, and I'm trying to have a lifestyle. Here's here's another one. If I married the right one, it shouldn't be this hard. Have you told yourself that? If I married the right one, it shouldn't be this hard. Oh, really? Who says that? See, you said that. You know, we, we grew up, and a lot of our families, we didn't read the Bible often. It's kind of getting dust on the shelf or you know, laying open in the middle of the, so it looked really spiritual, you know? But we read Cinderella, ladies, right? And when you marry Prince Charming, happily ever after, right? And you're going like, what happened? That's not, I missed Prince Charming. I thought I had Prince Charming. I got Darth Vader. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I should have clued in when he goes, Uh, you are my, you know, I was like, no, it's like, (laughs) but the Bible says, if you're alive, you're going to have trouble. Jesus said that you're going to have tribulation. Paul said, if you marry, you're going to have more trouble. That's what the Bible says. So God's truth is that you're married to trouble. Someone should have told you that, right? I mean, what are you going to do about marriage is hard to becoming one to stop being so selfish and and, and to begin to reach out and and, and make a difference in the life of someone else instead of it all revolving around you and your needs and your stuff and all this kind of stuff. It's not easy and we've got to realize that. Guys, most of the time in counseling, guys will come up to me and and, and they'll go, I'm working so hard and I'll say, after I talk to them a little bit and figure out, you're working about a 10th as hard as you need to work to make this happen. make this last that's worse than the stair stepper isn't it sometimes but you look at that I mean it's just truth what about that affair you know I talked about that earlier but you know but I I feel so good about it I mean it's like it feels life-giving and I, I feel I love her what's the truth Scott Peck again psychiatrist he said that euphoric feeling that we get that's just ego boundaries dropping And you can do that with 12 or 13 different people throughout your lifetime if you're not careful and have good boundaries. Your ego boundaries will drop with them. You got some good chemistry, you know? And you can sometimes feel that sometimes with with people around you. And you feel that chemistry, be careful if you're married, you know, because those ego boundaries can drop. But Scott Peck says you can't even really begin to love until that wears off, which is about six months to a year. And some of you are like, I know that. They call that the honeymoon being over, right? But he said, that's when the work begins because the Bible says that love is work. In fact, the Bible says if you have an affair, listen to what it says. Others will take your wealth and you will be reduced to a loaf of bread. What the Bible's basically saying is that your life is going to become a Tim McGraw country song. (laughs) Let Let me just read you one of the songs I love. I thought that was your voice. I thought that was my car. Now we ain't never met before, but I know who you are. You're living in my house. I'm living in a tent. And don't laugh. This second job of mine is paying both our rents. You're out here buying Happy Meals. I'm eating rice and pintos. You so much crack a smile at me, man. I'll come right through this window. <laughs> your ketchup's in the bag and a check is in the mail. I hope your chicken's raw inside. I hope your bun is stale. I'm supposed to tell you, please come back. But how about this instead? I hope you choke on a pickle. That's pretty good, isn't it? You took my wife, you took my kids, you took that life I used to live. My pride, the pool, the boat, my tools, my dreams, the dog, the cat. Yeah, I think you got just about everything. Do you want fries with that? (laughs) That's what the Bible says, right? And my emotions are telling me right now I probably should have been a country singer but I don't think that's accurate. (laughs) Emotions lie. Emotions aren't accurate. Number three. We activate the truth in our lives by our chooser. We activate the truth by our chooser. It's not enough just to have the truth sitting on a shelf collecting dust. We have to activate it by our chooser. Look what Jesus said. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. If you choose. See, it's that chooser that makes us like God. My little dog, mostly instinct, you know, but we have a chooser. We can choose against things. We can choose for things. I want us to look at the biblical way to handle emotions. It's a, it's a process and we'll do it with a really silly illustration, but I want you to imagine you're out in Galveston Bay and you're just floating in the water, you know, out a little bit further than where you can feel the, The the bottom, thing I don't like about Galveston, you know, like compared to like Cancun or something is you can't see like half an inch underwater, right? I was there with a student group one time and these three girls were standing side by side and all of a sudden, without even moving their feet, they began to move along. They were standing on something. I still hadn't figured out what it was. If you can tell me, well, don't tell me because I don't really want to know. I'll never get back in the water again, but you know… So you're there, you're floating, you're so happy, God, it's so beautiful here. All of a sudden you see a fin coming towards you. And your thinker goes, Shark, right? And it also you realize it's picking up speed and it's like right making a beeline for you. And that goes right to your feeler, and your feeler jumps up to a 10, right? And so fight or flight kicks in, and so you're just floating in the water going, I'm about to get eaten by a shark. Yet Your thinker's thinking everything you know about sharks. Sharks are carnivores, I am carne, you know? <laughs> and then you notice out of the corner of your eye, a little boat, and it's about 50 yards away. And all you have to do to be safe is swim faster than the shark. Yeah, you're going like, right, you know? But you start, you, so your, your chooser says, go and you start swimming and you break Michael Phelps record. You know, you've never swam like this. You didn't even know you could swim like that. But right as you get to the boat and go over the side and drop in the the shark rams up against the boat and you're in the bottom of the boat and you're safe. That boat is sturdy enough. Shark can't knock it over. Now you're just figuring that out. But so here's the first thing that you have to do. You have to discover the truth, discover truth. You're in the boat. You're safe. So why are you still plastered against the bottom of the boat with your heart beating 500 beats a minute? So you can have a heart attack and die perfectly safe in the boat if you don't know it, right? If you don't realize the truth. But you're totally safe. And then second thing you need to do, believe the truth. And I call that faith part one. Faith. I believe I'm safe. Now I'm not talking about Christian faith here. I'm talking about boat faith, right? So you begin to realize that you're safe. You have to choose to believe it. You discover the truth, you choose to believe it, but that's still not enough. Choose to live the truth. Choose to live, and I put work out, because that's how the Bible explains it. The Bible calls it work out. In fact, one of the most interesting verses, Philippians 2, 12, that I didn't understand for a long time, it says work out your salvation. And I thought, that goes against all the rest of the Bible. You can't work for your salvation. You you have to receive that as a free gift. You know, we're trying to work, 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 and please God and on this performance space. And that's not how God meant for us to do it at all. He said, I've stepped into time and space. I died on the cross for you. I took your place. And somehow, in, in in the rules and the laws of the universe, him dying in our place, As we accept that and receive that, it opens the door for us to get to be with God forever. So it's this free gift, the Bible says, that he gave us and it says that all over the place. So what does it mean, work out? And then one day I realized, because I started thinking about when you work out. When you work out and all of a sudden you look and go, I have a muscle. Was that muscle there before? Yeah. just couldn't see it right you were working out and now you can see the muscle see jesus put some things into us when we stepped into this in fact the bible says you became a new creation now it says work that out in your actions live that out in your actions work that out so i'm in the boat i'm safe i need to start acting like a safe person okay self start to breathe deep safe. The shark can't get in here. Look, he's just circling. He's frustrated, but the boat's sturdy and strong. He can't get to me now. And and I've got to start living in that and understanding that and, and, and getting that. What does it mean to be a hypocrite? I think this is important because we've misunderstood. In fact, don't answer true or false, but I'm going to ask you true or false. A hypocrite is someone that acts contrary to how they feel almost all of us would say true, but the Bible says false. The Bible says a hypocrite is someone who acts contrary to who they are. See, there's a big difference because you don't always feel who you are. The Bible says you're a brand new creation. You're you're new on the inside. I've given you the power to do my will. You don't always feel that. You don't always get that. And some of us have been sitting around waiting for faith and it's not going to happen that way because faith isn't a feeling. Faith is an action. It's that next small right step that you take into God's principles. Now you know the hardest thing that I do, the hardest part of my day is, it happens in the morning before breakfast. I call it waking up. I am not a morning person. And you know, even on even on Sundays, it, it, it's hard for me. I mean, sometimes in this service, especially right before, you know, a lot of times I'm out there saying hi. I'm feeling super grumpy. Okay, so don't take my kalachi out of my hand or anything. You don't know what's going to happen. But but it, it's like I just I, I'm seriously. I, I mean, it's like I Saturday night I spoke and preached and I went to bed so full of faith and I, I woke up and faith didn't wake up with me. And, and you know, so. What do I do? I, I usually just call up here and go, hey guys, um, I've got faith, you know, I've got a lot of faith. You guys have a great one, I'm, I'm believing for y'all. That's not faith, because then all, all my staff would panic because I'm supposed to preach, right? Faith is being here doing this right now. This is faith, and knowing that God always works. In fact, I think he works overtime because he knows I'm a little grumpy sometimes, you know? And, and you, you feel God move. And I stepped in it. It's interesting because we don't think we're a hypocrite in a lot of ways, you know, like tomorrow morning when you wake up, are you going to go, I'd go to work today, but I'd just be a hypocrite. I don't feel like it. You don't even think about that, do you? Because you'd never go to work probably, you know, and so, so you don't do that, but we do that in our, in our feelings, in our relationships, in our walk with God. We think, oh, I'll just be a hypocrite if I did that. I need to not do that. No, the Bible says, do it, do it and, and see what happens. Look what Jesus said. He says in uh, James 2, 19 and 20, he says, you can believe all you want that there's one true God. That's wonderful. But even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. Oh, feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith faith divorced from good works is phony? That was James, the half-brother of Jesus, talking. I think he probably had heard Jesus say those things all through his life. You know, the the biblical definition of faith is not necessarily what we think. Let me just give you a quick example here. In America, we would say, I believe in this stool. It looks really sturdy, and I believe in it. That's all we have to do. It's kind of just mental up here. But in the Bible language, when it says believe, that word believe means this, I believe in this stool. I'm putting all that I am on it. It's an action that you do. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's saying, I believe in Jesus. Jesus, I'm putting all of myself onto you. If it's not you and if you don't do this, I've got no hope. I can't do it. And that's what it means to believe. So, can faith be something like going to the gym, even when you don't feel like it, saying, God, I know you want me to get this body back into, into some kind of decent shape, and I'm just going to go five days a week and, and, you know, just just keep going. I don't feel like it, but I'm going anyway today. It could be. Faith might be taking that next step to get some marriage counseling. Is that humiliating to you? It shouldn't be. All of us need that. Laura and I, when we were young, you know, we struggled so much in those first seven or eight years of our marriage, and we thought we weren't going to make it. And I didn't have any money. I could do a commercial and say, MasterCard saved my marriage, you know, because I had to pay that counselor a, a ton of credit card. And I'm not saying get in debt, but what I am saying is, what do you got to do to get healthy? What, what, is it, what does it take? What's it going to take? What about financial coaching? Because you charged up your credit card on marriage counseling. No, you know, what do you do? How do you do? I mean, I need some help here. I I, I just can't get a grasp on that. So we've got the most amazing counseling at this church. We've got a, a counseling area that just blows doors and it's changed so many people's lives. The goal of this message is really simple. So I want you to get this. I want you this week to realize that faith is not some feeling that you're trying to muster up. It's the next small right step. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is an action. Faith is something you actively do regardless of your feelings. Regardless. Some of you have such a struggle to believe that God's heart toward you is good. And and you think you've fallen and he doesn't. You you grew up in a house full of performance-based acceptance if you just do this and this and this and this and this and this and you could never quite measure up and you're doing that same thing with God and he's going, stop. I've given you a gift. Receive it. Begin to walk in it, my little son and daughter. Know that you're accepted by me. You're loved by me. I lo-. You fall on your face and you say, God hates me. No, he, he's reaching down and he's going, get up, little girl. I got gotcha. you. You're like a little two-year-old to him. That fell because you're learning how to walk. And he's going, Get up, come on, we can do this. That's what this church is like. People, you'll find if you fall down on your face, they'll reach down and go, Oh, get up, get up, we can do this. You know, I've been in churches before and you fall down and you go, I think I broke my leg. And they go, Put you out of your misery there, buddy. But that's why I love this church. It's just like, Come on, we can do this. We're in this together. We can make it, we can do it. A crazy truth that maybe no one ever told you, and it's the secret to life change. Feelings follow faith, eventually. Feelings follow faith. You won't always feel good. You won't always feel like a success. You won't wake up every morning and look over at your spouse and go, I love you. It's gonna take some work. Some of you say, I, I, I don't love my spouse. I've lost that love and feeling. Love isn't a feeling either, according to the Bible. It's an action. Love is patient. Love is kind. It goes on and on in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me tell you something. If you read 1 Corinthians 13 and you do all of that towards your spouse, the feelings will come back. I promise. They always do. They have every time. Eventually. I didn't say tomorrow, because sometimes we go Took me 15 years to get to this place in my marriage, but I'm gonna ask that counselor to do it in three days, right? No, it doesn't work that way. But you begin to change your actions and you begin to see what God does. Here's the secret, you ready? And I'm gonna close out with this. I can't feel my way into a new way of acting. I must act my way into a new way of feeling. I can't feel my way into a new way of acting, I must act my way into a new way of feeling. Now you have to throw out your definition of hypocrite to do that, right? If you're thinking it's based on feelings, who are you? What is the truth? Act that way, whether you feel like it or not, and I promise you the feelings will tag along behind. Next week, we're going to find out about how to deal with anxiety. That's a good one, isn't it? And and we're gonna learn how to deal with that emotion and, and some of the things around that. I'm really excited about what God has for us. I want you to close your eyes with me. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you have an answer for us. Some of us, we've been feeling our way in the dark and you want us to find your light. You want us to find your truth and walk on that. I love the verse that you gave us that says the way of a person seeking after you gets brighter and brighter until the full light of dawn. Let that be true for each and every one of us in this room, those that are listening online. Let us step into that with all that we are. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in us and let nothing stop what you want to do in our lives. We claim it right now in Jesus name. Amen. We're gonna have some people up here at the front to pray for you. Come and let them pray over you. Let's watch God do some miracles. He's done so many. I love you, community of faith. We'll see you next weekend.